Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Courage Conversation Show. I'm your host, Ashley Easter. I'm the founder and executive director of Courage 365, and we have a great show planned for you tonight. We are going to be talking with Ryan Cardoza. He is an amazing person, uh, an artist, a survivor, an advocate, so many wonderful things that he is doing in the world. And we're going to have him come on the show. I, I think I was on... I'm not sure exactly what it was called. I'll ask him when he's on screen, but it was like a, a live um, type of recording that he was doing a few years ago, like an all day sort of seminar type of thing. And it, it was really awesome. And so I'm really excited to actually have him on the show with us today. So let me just get into his bio really quickly, and then we'll be able to introduce him in person. So um, Brian Cardoza is a national speaker, a survivor an author, an international artist, and a gourmet cookie maker. And we're going to get into talking about those cookies because that sounds pretty cool. Um, and so before we bring on Brian to the show, I'm going to pause just for a minute for these messages. Hey, this is Ashley Easter, and I wanted to interject into this conversation to tell you about a product on the market that I think is going to be perfect for our survivor community. That product is called Call Me Go. Call Me Go is the world's first patented technological device that provides quick relief for anxiety, stress, and panic attack. It combines three scientifically proven methods that activate the parasympathetic nervous system and calms the body. Call Me Go provides immediate relief and a sense of calm in just three minutes, provides confidence and allows you to stop fearing the next panic attack. It can be used anywhere due to its small size and discreet look, and it's completely drug-free and safe to use. And for our survivor community, CalmeGo has kindly offered us a promotional code where you can get $30 off. Just go to CalmeGo.com. That's C-A-L-M-I-G-O.com. When you reach the checkout, just put the word COURAGE30. That's C-O-U-R-A-G-E, the number three and the number zero, COURAGE30. And the coupon code section and you will be eligible to get $30 off your Comigo. And of course, you can check out the show notes below this episode to click on a direct link right to the website. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Courage Conversation Show. I'm Ashley and this is Brian Cardoza. Hey Brian, how are you today? Um, sweaty. It's hot in North Carolina. How oh about my you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is a little bit warm here. That is for sure. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on the show. You have so much, um, just so much insight into this topic as a male survivor. And I know it's really going to resonate with our audience. And kind of the first question I wanted to ask you is about your artwork. So you, I know, um, I've seen paintings that you've done in the past. I'd also include writing as a form of art. And then you're doing these gourmet cookies. And when we messaged this morning, you were making like, what, 2,000 cookies, something like that? A whole lot of cookies. 2,400, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my gosh. So yeah. tell me a little bit about your art and how art maybe works into your healing journey or how it's maybe been a place of empowerment for you. So for me... Um... It's kind of a catch-22. Uh, when I was younger, so uh, for those that are probably look this up later on or whatever, my mom was one of my major physical, emotional, and, and uh, abusers. Um, so I, I say that so that I can preface it with this comment. The one thing that my mom was was like this stupid, good artist. Like you would give her a photo 
and you'd be like, recreate it. And then you'd be like, oh, this has got to be the painting because it's bigger than the picture. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she was that. Good. And um, so when I was younger, I'd start painting. I'd start drawing. And she would, I, it was probably on the top five worst beatings I got because I couldn't draw and, and paint as well as her. And so I stopped doing any creative stuff for years uh, just due to that lesson. You know what I mean? Um, and so many years later, I pick up the pencil again, I start drawing, I start painting, uh, and I start doing stuff that resonates with me without having to have, I guess the term would be any outside validation from somebody else. And I was just starting to paint for myself. And then the next thing I know, I didn't have the internet. So you think that your little picture on someplace is only going to go to your neighborhood. You know what I mean? So when you're sending paintings to Canada, New Zealand, London, you're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and so it, it helped me communicate. It helped me communicate a little bit of the pain that I was going through and also helped me learn how to show the world how I thought, if that makes any sense. It does. Yeah. And I love how you took something that for many years was a painful thing, thinking about art, how you've been treated around your art, and now you're reclaiming it and using it to tell your story. That is so powerful. I mean, again, the paintings, um, amazing. And we can, um, you know, talk about that at the end if you have any links to share so people can see your artwork. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you're also doing like making these cookies, and they're gourmet cookies, and they're they look delicious. Um, tell me how you kind of worked that into your journey, and is that also like a cathartic release to do that? So for the last two years, I've, I've owned a gourmet cookie and coffee truck where I wow. go around certain events and do all kinds of stuff, and. I started it during the pandemic. Uh, during the first part of the pandemic on Facebook, I used to do free art lessons because we were all quarantining. And I was like, you know what? We all need to just stay at home. And if I can supply an hour of entertainment and lesson for somebody, then then maybe I'm helping out in the, you know, the great cause. Yeah. And uh, so I started doing that. And then I honestly, I actually, I probably haven't, I got a commission for a painting like six months ago. And that was the first time I picked up a brush in probably 12, 13 months. It's been that long now since I picked up a brush. And so what I've always said is the survivor is, uh, you know, if you're creative and you're a survivor, you also need to always be creating. Mm. All right. Because. I have found that when I have talked to, as an advocate and as a uh, North Carolina certified peer support specialist and all this kind of stuff, that when I talk to other survivors that are creative, yeah. I find that they they start to spiral a little bit when they stop being creative. And so what I'll end up doing, and it's, it's probably just a, a fathering technique that I probably need to get out of because it's expensive, but I'll go to the store and I'll buy them some cheap paints and canvas and a brush and I'll just like hand it to them and be like go create go yeah. do something and you'll start to find that once they start to get that outlet out again 
they start to come out of their hole a little bit and they start to find, mm -hmm. they start going, they start having better sessions with their therapist that they can talk more, they can articulate better because that creative instinct wasn't being stifled by themselves anymore. You know what I mean? So, um, so what I do now, because I'm not being creative on Canvas or in writing, I'm creating different kinds of cookies. So, uh, like yesterday, I just did a uh, a double dark chocolate stuffed orange cookie. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I, sounds I, amazing. <laughs> I have I have lemon meringue cookies. I have. Uh, I have a bourbon soaked mango and butterscotch cookie. I have whiskey cookies. I have all kinds of stuff where I can just play. Um, and then the cool thing about it is for me personally, is I get almost instant gratification and affirmation that it's a good product because I'll be like, here, try this. And people will be like, I hate you. And I'm like, that means it's good. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, so for me, it's, it's nice, you know, because of, the way I came up, um, which was not pleasant, uh, it's nice to have that instant gratification where I'm like, here, try this. And they're just like, I hate you. <laughs> I need 12. You're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you know so. Wow. I, I think that's so beautiful. And also the connection that you've made between um, noticing how when survivors who have a creative bent aren't creating how they kind of go back into their shell but when you give them even just uh some paintbrushes how it, it makes their therapy appointments more meaningful and i mean that's um that's really great and i hope that people listening will take that away as you know if you you don't even have to i think that there's this myth that to be creative you have to be like Brian, who's able to sell his paintings across the world, but yeah. you don't have to, you can just, no. I love adult coloring pages and nobody's going to buy that. Yeah. Sometimes I put it yeah. on the refrigerator. My husband's like, good job, Ashley. <laughs> you know, yes. from that. Yes. yes. A little magnet up there and everything. Yeah, no, I totally, <laughs> I, you know, and so I used to teach, um, art to survivors and you know, they, they all came in with this same concept of like, well, I'm not nearly as good as you. And I was always just like, I don't give a damn. We're going to, we're going to go work this out. You know what I mean? And, and you're going to do the best damn stick figure you can do. Yeah. And you're going to get applause and you're going to be appreciated for the emotion and the attempt and the expression. Um, so I, I look at art like this uh, and, and I, and I look at, and I don't want to try to, be divisive but well i mean reductive sorry um i look at art the same way as i looked at when i was powerlifting. Mm -hmm. um i look at it as the same way as going to therapy right is every time you do it it's it's the few things in the world that every time you do it you get better mm. right like because every time you pick up a pencil and you just try to sketch another couple more minutes you're going to be a little bit better than you were before Every time you go lifting or, or powerlifting, if you get one more rep out, you've, you're stronger than you were before. Or if the third rep felt you know easier to do, then you're better than you were before. Um, and in therapy, like the, I, I, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen me speak. Actually, like go to us. But one of my favorite things to say to everybody is, when you start therapy, it's gonna suck. There are going to be times 
where you're going to be like, why did I do this to myself? This hurts. And I say to him at the same time, but if you get up and you go every single time, it's all worth it at the end. Mm. You know, and, and it's because there are days when you're in therapy, like, yes, you don't want to get up. Yes. It feels like you step, you sat back, you, you took a step back. But what you don't realize is that when you feel like you took a step back, the reason why you realize you feel like that is because you're now recognizing when you're going backwards or forwards. Hmm. And that's, that's the progress of therapy. That's the progress of healing is that you can now be like, oh, crap, that was a step back. Wait, but now I can see that. That's yeah. actually a step forward. You know, and, and, you know, and I think people have a misnomer on therapy that, you know, you walk in and they, they, you know, do a stopwatch in front of you with a little circular broom in the back. And you're like, you're good. And you're like, oh, I'm never going to. No, no, your therapy is yours. You know, and yeah. sometimes can be. And, you know, every little thing you can do to make those better and, and more helpful is incredible. One of my favorite sayings in the world is we know that for survivors of domestic violence, sexual abuse, physical abuse and neglect that the sooner into therapy, the sooner into recovery. Mm. So that is tantamount for everybody who is listening to these podcasts, who has thought about or not thought about joining into a, a, a healing organization that helps you overcome like, like physically licensed therapists. I cannot say this enough. <laughs> like mm. physical licensed therapist, your life gets better. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for that. That's that's really yep. wise. Oh, well, another topic I kind of want to get your perspective on is something that that you suggested us discussing a little bit, and that is male survivors and particularly you mentioned two different places that they're either portrayed differently, I think, than women in the media, or they're treated differently in um, different treatment centers or domestic violence prevention centers. And as a male survivor, as somebody who's an advocate and a certified peer um, support group leader, what have you seen are some of the differences between the ways men survivors are treated different than women survivors in both media and in the helping spaces. Yeah. So, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a quick story on my rundown of my very first appointment okay. with, with my rape crisis center appointed therapist. Mm. Right. I was, I was in Boston. Um, it's a really kind of a, I, like, I look back on it now, Ashley, and I'm like, Oh my God, I was a moron. Right. But so here's what, so, so I get, I, I'm in Boston. I get off the train stations on the train station, the train stop, two stops before uh, the, the rape crisis center because I didn't want anybody to see this guy going to a rape crisis center. Like, right. I, for some reason, I thought everybody was going to know I was going there, right? Yeah. Nobody cared. But, but so I, I get off, I go upstairs, and um, I don't, I'm, I'm far older than you are. So I don't know if you remember the, uh, the fake green leather chairs with the little brass buttons in them. Yes, yes. So, so they had a bunch of those in the seat, as for seats, and I sit down in one. And off to my left, there was an office, and there was about five or six women in the office. 
they one pokes her head out, looks at me, comes back to the rest of the group, waits a couple seconds, walks over to me and goes in the in the most terse and rude voice I've ever heard in that she goes, Can I help you? I was like, I'm 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 here to see David. She's like, oh, and then just walked away. And then unilaterally, every single lady came out of that office, asked me the exact same question, right after each other, until David came and pulled me into the office. And when I talked to my therapist, David, at the time, um, he had a little terse conversation with them, which, which quelled that. But that was still how I was approached the very first time going into therapy. Um, and then fast forward, you know, about four years ago, I'm in a different area. Um, and I, I've done all my education. I went to, I went, I went to an advanced program for peer support specialists that was taught at Chapel Hill and North Carolina state to become certified to do this work so I could help fellow survivors in a clinical um, uh, in a clinical uh, building and went to my local rape crisis center, talked to the executive director and was like, hey, so here's my certificate. Here's all this. Um, can I get an application? Can I, can I at least attempt to try to work here? And she looked me dead in the face, actually. She goes, you know, we're not going to hire you. And I was like, why? She's like, you're a guy. Mm. Like, wow. why? You know, and and I told other people this story, and they're like, well, you should have sued him. And I was like, why would I sue? Who's going to win that lawsuit, right? The only people that are going to lose in that lawsuit are the victims that would have needed that money mm -hmm. for that therapy. Like, I'm not going to do that, you know? Um, and so there are these – and then in that same place that there was – they called me up to the front because there was, like, this shady guy that was hanging out up front. And those that can't see, I, I take up a lot of the screen because I am this big. I'm – I am six foot two. I'm a large human being. Um, so they called me up to the front to scare away a guy at their door. And then as I, I'm walking away from him, I turn around and look at him. And I'm like, hey, did anybody ask him if he needed counseling? Mm. Did anybody ask him if he was just scared to death to come into a rape crisis center? And they were like, no. I was like, then why did you pull me up here to scare him? Right? So I, I don't say this, folks that are watching this, to scare males about going into these settings. Mm. But I also don't feel like I don't need to tell you that this could be the reaction, right? Yeah. Um, I've also heard from somebody who worked in the same building. Oh, my goodness, Ashley, this one will probably blow your mind. We were talking about sex trafficking yeah. and the adult industry, right? And so those that don't know me, I was sold into sex trafficking when I was six till I was nine. Mm. So I'm very intimate with this uh, uh, epidemic. So we're talking about sex trafficking in the adult industry, and they're like, well, you know, little Julie left Kansas to go to California to be a movie. Now she's a porn star. and She's being kidnapped and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, well, let's bear in mind that little Johnny probably left Kansas too. And it's having the same thing happen to him. Mm. What are we going to do about helping our male survivors? And one of the employees of the rape crisis center in that conversation actually looked me dead in the face. She goes, yeah, but you know, the guys enjoy it. Mm. I was like, 
Mm -hmm. Males are not just perpetrators. We're victims. Right. You know, and and when you look at the actual numbers, the actual statistics across the nation, and then you look at the reporting acts, the reporting ratios, you look at the actual ratios for 501c3s on who they're seeing and what they're seeing them for and the age groups, there is not a single one of those people that do not believe that the one in six male number should be higher than it is. Because mm-hmm. males don't males don't report when we refuse to report when it's a woman who has taken advantage of us. Right. When we do report, when we do report, we're not believed. Um, and then when we do report to an officer, oftentimes, just like with domestic violence, they won't take a report because, come on, dude, suck it up. Mm. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. that's stuff that, that male survivors have to be aware of, that this could be some of the things you're going into. Now, one of the things that I've been blessed with and cursed with is the ability to be empathetic with other people's needs and desires. And now I say this, I say this so that anybody listening to this can bear this in mind. I understand why women in those settings have a vitriol against men. And I know that may sound weird, but I understand it. The reason why I understand it is if you've been in this industry of trying to help sexual abuse survivors for, let's say, 20 years, mm-hmm. which would be on the short side for a lot of people currently, and you've heard story after story after story about what men have done to women, there's no way you don't come out of that unscathed. Right. There's just no way. So I understand the, some of the vitriol, and that's why I want to say this is this could happen to you be prepared for that to happen it happened to me mm. but that doesn't mean that you don't just in lack of a better term is suck it up and get to the point where you can get counseling and get better um because after they realize that you're not a perpetrator then everything starts to change but you're going to be looked at like well i don't want to speak in a generalization uh because there's probably organizations out there that don't do any of that um but in my travels, I have found more than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an I statement. That's what I have found. Uh, so I feel like I should prepare people for the possible. But no, on the other side, that grass is actually greener. <laughs> and it actually feels better when you get through it. Wow. It is so heartbreaking to hear that. And yet it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. Um, it's shocking on one hand but also not surprising on the other hand um part of the work in the beginning of what i did was study patriarchy and abuse and the first focus when you're studying patriarchy is how women are often abused in patriarchal systems but when you look deeper you realize that number one patriarchy doesn't mean men it means a power structure and men are abused in those same structures as well as women. And yep. that the way it's set up, there's actually these, there's almost an expectation that women will be victims within movements like this. And so when a woman says she's victimized, there may be backlash to that, but it's not because they don't think it's possible that a woman could be a victim. But yep. men in those structures, when they talk about having experienced abuse, it's like, oh, well, 
that couldn't happen to a man. Men are, men are too tough for that. Or like you said, you know, he liked it. And there's all these other excuses and these other layers of like, it's, it goes beyond whether you believe an individual victim or not. And it goes to a place of like, well, that doesn't happen to men, which is so dangerous because men and boys are experiencing these things. And when we're not, we might recognize it um, statistics, because like you said, a lot of the nonprofits talk about that one in six. But when you're not actually then looking at men and boys as, okay, well, they're individuals, and they may be impacted by this statistic. When you when you fail to bring that statistic down to earth and be like, this is actually affecting real people, then we get these terrible responses, which can make men then shut down even more and not receive the healing they deserve. So I'll tell you straight out the reason, actually the reason why I never got married and the reason why I've never had kids um, is because, so I'm almost 50. I grew up, uh, mid 70s 80s into the 90s and i was told emphatically by television by other people commentators everything that if it happened to me it was because i wasn't man enough to defend myself Mm. okay wow all right no compensation that i was six you know what i mean i just i wasn't man enough then i was also told and we now know this to be empirically false but i was told regularly um not because people knew what I'd gone through, but because it was the uh, zeitgeist of the time that because I was an abuse survivor, I was going to become an abuser. Mm. And I was like, that's, that's not happening. I'm, I am never going to be the guy that hits my wife. I'm never going to be the guy that has sex with a kid. You know what I mean? Like that I'm just, that's not, not who I'm going to be. And so because that had been drilled into me for 20 something years, that anytime I met somebody that I could have had a long-lasting relationship with, and that I that I had thought about maybe what it would be like to put a ring on that and then mm-hmm. have kids, I was like, nope, gotta go, nope, can't do that because I'm never gonna be that. Wow, wow, and that's heartbreaking because you not only do you deserve healing, but you deserve all the the good things in life that you desire. And for somebody to tell you that because somebody harmed you, many somebody's harmed you as a child, that that means you're going to be a perpetrator. I mean, that's devastating to hear. And I'm glad you're dismantling that in your mind now. But I guess what I'd like to maybe switch the conversation to is you were told those kinds of things in the past. And male survivors today are still told things like that. So what are your words of wisdom, advice, um, places that you can empower male survivors where they're feeling like I don't deserve these good things, or it's not safe for me to be in relationships? Like, what would you tell male survivors who are struggling right now? Well, so the first thing I would say is if you feel like if someone says, I don't feel safe to be in a relationship, acknowledge that that's probably correct, mm. right? So what that means is, and I mean by that is, um, take your butt to counseling, take your butt to therapy, and deprogram yourself on why you think, right? Because mm. if you automatically start any relationship with anybody, 
where you're in the entire mindset, I don't deserve you, um, I'm going to screw this up, invariably that's exactly what's going to happen. And then that's when it becomes Pavlovian. You've, you've taught yourself that these traits lead to these outcomes. Then you're going to get into the point where you're just like, nope. So first, trust your instincts. If you feel like that you're not deserving or that you might hurt somebody, take your butt to counseling and start doing therapy. Because your body's trying to tell you, you, you may not want to ever hurt anybody. You may not, but you're asking yourself the question. If I get pushed too far, will this happen? Answer the question. Go to therapy. Find the answer to that question before you put it off on somebody else. Because mm. we can't depend on a loved one. Um, a, all right, so I, I know you, uh, you're probably, this might be a little too much, but a loved one, um, a religious symbol, or anything else like that, you can't depend on them to save you or help you until you get clinical help. So someone who is actually trained to actually go through that. So if you're having these questions, find help. Once you've come to the realization that what you heard was blather Skype from the past, then you look forward to and say, okay, where else do I need to work to where I can be some somebody that I feel would love me? And then you work from there. Um, the the hardest issue, and it will always be the hardest issue for male survivors, um, is learning how to trust people and be open and vulnerable with our loved ones. Mm. Because nine times out of ten, most people, you know, we, we were all taught stranger danger, yeah. which, was a, which was a complete and utter shamble for any true sex abuse survivor. Not that stranger danger didn't happen, but the real number is that it's, almost what 90% of sex abuse survivors knew their perpetrator right or our family member of that was not stranger danger that was the, that was uncle or aunt danger you know what i mean yeah. and so you so we've developed this you know again pavlonian response that if we let people get close to us they'll hurt us um you know honestly to this day actually i am still i don't hug people i don't let people touch me because for the first 20 years, 25 years of my life, when someone touched me, they were either trying to kill me or they were trying to rape me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, so I like, no, like I, if I'm intimate with somebody, like if I'm in a relationship, I'll let them touch me, but I'm, I'm, I am king of the fist bump and the handshake, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like we're good. Um, so I would recommend if you're having those questions, seek the proper help. I would also say, um, and it's the only piece of advice I ever got from my father that was worth a damn. And <laughs> and I always like to impart it on anybody because it was the one time, you know, from the mouth of idiots, wisdom can come. Um, <laughs> he uh, he once said to me, Brian, if you ever have to ask if you're in love, you're not. And I was like, that's wow, that's astute for a moron. Um, so. I would say that, like, if you're asking yourself if you need to fix something, then you do. Mm. Yeah. It's that simple. Wow. Yes. And I love that that call to therapy. And I think it's so important that we remove the stigma of therapy in general. But 
especially the stigma of therapy for men, because I think it's becoming more and more accepted for women to go to therapy. Um, but I think there's still a lot of stigma around men going to therapy. And so if, if a male survivor is thinking like, you know what, I think I might need to go to therapy. It might be helpful for me, but they're afraid of what people would think. What, what would your advice be to them if, if they're nervous about how people around them are going to react? Um, <laughs> it's so funny you asked this question. So I was driving back from my kitchen today and I thought about this. I thought about, I thought about this. Um, and here, and it's, it's a very kind of cold hearted answer actually, uh, but it's, it's incredibly accurate. Um, the world doesn't care and you're far more anonymous than you think you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, and, and that's two empowering statements, honestly, the world doesn't care, right? The world is just the world, right? So you can either go get help or not. You get to decide that. The world is not going to judge you. It doesn't care. The world is the, the world's not going to judge you. Um, and you're far more anonymous than you think. Um, you know, we all like to think everybody, like, like I told you at the beginning of the story, I got off two stops before the, the rape crisis center because I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want anybody to know I was getting off at that stop because I thought, oh, they're, they're going to know I'm going to the rape crisis center. Nobody cared. You know what I mean? That was just a a, a, a a red door with a window in it, for you know, as far as everybody cared. Um, and nobody would have cared regardless. The only people that need to care about your mental health are you. So if if you want to seek help, take your butt to a therapist. Yeah. Get the help you need. Um, don't worry about the other people. Because at the end of the day, the sad part is, at the end of the day, if they remain toxic and in trouble with themselves, you're going to get to a point where you're healed and you're going to make the decision, like my therapist told me, um, I'm going to I'm going to censor myself a little bit. I'm going to try to doll it up. So my uh, my therapist David Shannon once told me, uh, Ashley, where I'd gone on like this 45 diet, minute diatribe about my family with just all this, and he he stopped me in the middle of it. And he goes. Um, you know, the best thing to do with cancer is sometimes, Brian, I was like, no, David, what, what's the best thing? He goes, you cut it the F out. And that was a hard lesson because I was still trying to make up for the stuff that I thought I had done as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, but for those that are thinking about doing therapy and they're worried about what people will think, you should be more worried about how you view them after you've gotten healed. Right. Wow, that's really powerful. It's really powerful. Oh, and one of our last questions, this is what we ask all of our guests on the show. And you've already shared so much advice. So uh, our question is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? But since you've already shared so much good advice, maybe just a good piece of advice you've received because you shared so many nuggets. Um. Three quotes. Uh, and real quick, when I had you on my show, it was a 24-hour marathon yes, of survivors. That's right. Um, yeah. So um, three three quotes. One was from one is from Walt Whitman: uh, "Be curious, not judgmental." Mm. Uh, one is from Lauren Michaels: 
uh, if you're the smartest man in the room, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> right. And then my third is probably from my book. Um, and and the, the quote is, it was just Tuesday. Uh, because I get quote, I get asked all the time, how come, like, because, you know, it's the common trope. You know, how come you didn't leave? How come you didn't tell anybody? Um, because to me at six, I didn't know what was going on was wrong. And it was just Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and as far as your book goes, that kind of leads us into our next question. Where can people find you and your work? Find your books? Um, can people order your cookies through the mail? <laughs> yes, or is it yeah. just through your store? Like, tell yeah. us all the things. All right, so Amazon carries my book, The Unexpected Victim. Um, my uh, my art, you can see. Uh, just put my name in on uh, Instagram. You'll uh -huh. see this ugly. You'll see the ugly mug. You'll be like, oh, that's him. And then there's all my art listed below. Uh, then uh, for the cookies, you can go to three and one, three i n one cookies and coffee, uh, and you can see the flavors, or you can just follow us on social media. Uh, we, we go everywhere. I'm probably going to be coming out towards you here pretty soon one day with the truck in the, in the, uh, mid, middle of North Carolina area. Um, and so eventually, yeah, uh, you, you can find me through a lot of areas. Honestly, if you just Google my name, um, you'll probably throw up a little bit because you're just like, he's got like 12 pages. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you just Google my name, it's kind of stupid. Awesome. Well, I'm sure people are going to want to Google your name and see all the amazing things that you're doing. Brian, this has been so good. I know our whole community has benefited from this, but particularly our survivors within our community. So thank you so much for being on the show today. I also wanted to just say something to you real personally is that when um, I was reviewing your page and you know trying to gather notes for myself, I noticed I was four out of six I was the fourth male or third male out of 16 episodes mm -hmm. um thank you for thinking of us as males um and please keep that up because I have seen too many times where there'll be a something like this starts and there'll be a spattering of guys every once in a while but then it becomes completely one-sided and male voices are completely thrown to the side so I really appreciate you doing that and keeping the time and um I really, really appreciate you, and I hope you keep doing it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And everyone, thank you all so much for tuning in. You can, of course, follow Brian on his social media, and then you can follow us on our social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, we stream the show uh, every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, we are... Um, nearing the end of this third season of Courage Conversations. And when we um, end it, we'll have about a week break and then we'll have the 30 Days of Courage coming up in October. That'll be from October 1st through the 30th. Um, it's going to be a really powerful event. All you have to do is join our Facebook group, which um, we have a public page, but the private Facebook group is where the event is going to happen. There's going to be self-care challenges and prizes, some amazing speakers, 
We're going to have peer support groups, all kinds of things you're going to want to get involved. So be on the lookout for all the information coming from there. And of course, you can also visit us on our website, courage365.org. And when you visit us there, just for being a guest on our website, you can download this free ebook, Five Keys to Living a Life of Courage. All you have to do is go to our website, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and it's there. It's completely free. And it will help you take your next most courageous steps on your healing journey. We also have a need help tab on our website. So if you're in need of different types of resources, if you're a male survivor, we've listed resources there for you, uh, different hotlines as well. So that is available. And then one last thing I want to tell you about, one of my favorite resources we have is we have a text messaging community. And in this text messaging community, there are texts that are inspirational, empowering text messages that are sent out Monday through Friday. Um, this is something totally free for you to sign up for. You're not going to get spammed. You're not going to get messaged from other random people on the list. It's just going to be empowering messages from us Monday through Friday. And all you have to do to sign up for that is get out a piece of, pa piece of paper or pull out your phone. If you want to sign up now, go to a clean text message and type in this phone number at the top. It is 917-809-7311. That is 917-809-7311. And then in the message section, just type the word courage and hit submit. When you do, you'll be added to our text message list. And uh, yes, I am the one who responds if you happen to message back, though there's never any pressure to do so. We've seen so many um, good connections come through this and it's it's just kind of a empowering shot in the arm of courage in the morning uh, Thank you all so much for listening. It's been a pleasure having you with us today Please be sure to share this on your social media and as always live with courage